This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 63, and we are recording on January 11th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Well, Please, come save me, <laughs> I you was guys. just going to say, Amanda is coming from the realm of no school. <laughs> My children <laughs> have been snowed out of school for three days, Ugh. and... I have also been snowed in because, I, you know, the roads are ice, so I can't leave. So I have been in this house living on peanut butter and jelly <laughs> with two five-year-olds for three days, and I just can't. So Rebecca is actually here with them Bless in the her. living room, and I am in a corner of my bedroom recording and trying to, record, trying to like, keep their voices off the show. Uh, but if you hear random screaming right. or hysterical laughter... Or the sound of furniture being destroyed. It's fine. It's just my kids. <laughs> they are being supervised. So We have a question this episode from a lady who's trying to postpone her baby fever. Like, maybe she can come and visit you and that Would will Would you like help. to babysit? Because I feel like my kids are just birth control. Which is, you know, I love my kids. They're just two five-year-old boys. They're just a lot. They're a lot in an apartment for three days. That's mm. what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. You could write a horror novel about it, and that would satisfy the other question we have. It would. It would. <laughs> horror novels about kids. Um, They're identical twins, and those are always creepy. Always creepy. Always creepy. Uh, well, if you haven't listened to this show before, we do talk about books eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little punchy today. <laughs> this is a book recommendation show, as you might have guessed. Uh, and what happens is people write in with their questions uh, for any kind of book request. So, you know, what to read next for you, what to get for your uncle for his birthday, what your book club should be reading. We take any and all book-related reading questions. You can submit them to us via getbooked at bookriot.com or through the form that's at the bottom of all the show notes on the website. And if you ask a question that has already been asked recently on the show or is like super duper time sensitive and we're not going to get to it before your requested answer date, I will probably email you back about it. Um, if you do have a time sensitive request and you're submitting it via email or the form, make sure you list the date you want the answer by at the top and we will do our best to get to it. Uh, okay, so I'm going to read the first question, and then we're going to talk about our first sponsor, and then we will get into our recommendations. So this question is from Sonia. I've been double diagnosed with two types of cancer one week after the other. My first surgery is in the middle of January. The second is yet to be determined. I will have a lot of downtime slash reading time coming up. Uh, the last two books that I read that actually put a smile on my face while reading and cried when it was over was Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes and Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I'm usually a historical fiction slash fantasy portal reader, but due to my recent circumstances, I've been trying to find books that keep me upbeat and happier. Uh, please give me something to get over this. Well, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna do our best. Um, and so actually, our first sponsor kind of rolls nicely. Oh, there into- you go. This question. Um, both of our sponsors yes, this, uh, this show are very uh, timely in, in the spirit of New Year 
new me kind of stuff. Um, so our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio, and they're doing a New Year's focus on books about self-care and self-improvement or self-help or however you want to put it. So if you are looking for books along those lines, maybe books to help you like keep your resolutions, start new habits, break old habits, feel better about yourself, whatever area of self-improvement you're looking for, there's a book on Penguin Random House Audio uh, for you to listen to. So if you go to visit, uh, you can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash self-care to get listening suggestions. Um, and they also, if you browse around the site, I was clicking around the site a little bit earlier, and it's they separate the audiobooks. You can get recommendations by author and topic, obviously, but also by the narrators and by the awards the books have won, which I thought was really... Ooh, handy. Um, yeah, quite handy. Especially if like if you're super into audiobooks. The deeper I get into audiobooks, the more... You can hear my kids laughing. The more I develop... Um, <laughs> like a, a penchant for particular narrators uh, and it's like getting more and more th- this like a thing I care about now. So having that option for browsing is nice. Um, so some examples from the website for self-care listens, you can pick our uh, Smarter, Faster, Better by Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit. And I've read that. That one's really good. They've got some stuff about spirituality, um, On Living by Carrie Egan, which I've heard really great things about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Deepak Chopra's book, You Are the Universe, you can listen to. There's some health and fitness uh, stuff, The Case Against Sugar, if you've been looking to kind of cut that out of your diet in the new year to get a little bit healthier. So no matter what aspect of your life you're looking to improve, they've got some stuff on there for you. So go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash self-care and listen to an audiobook because audiobooks are awesome. <laughs> I'm listening to White Trash right now, Ooh. which is not self-care. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like super long, like 20 hours, mm. which I didn't realize when I downloaded it, but I'm going for it. Uh, but it's really interesting history of uh, class in America, if you're if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, pretty timely right now about white poverty. So yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll just keep... You want me to keep going? Yeah, you keep going. Okay. So, I'm sorry about your your two diagnoses. That's the worst. And I hope that you are feeling better. Um, So, my first pick for you is Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Milton, which on the surface sounds like it could be a downer, but... Big Magic is kind of, it's got downer parts too. And, and you know, the Year of Yes is not without struggles in, in that memory type situation. Um, but so it's an, it's a memoir. Love Warrior is a memoir about Glennon Doyle Melton, who is a, I hate the term mommy blogger, but she's a, a blogger who has children, whatever. Um, but her blog was more of like a, on, on a spiritual sort of level. Um, and her, her life is really complicated and difficult. She was an alcoholic. She was bulimic. She met her uh, her husband when she was just out of college. She got pregnant. They got married. They had three kids, and she got her life together. She was, like, in recovery um, for her alcoholism and her eating disorders and was not really happy with her situation with her kids and her family. Um, she wasn't very fulfilled. She was very you know, exhausted, like you can get when you have that many children um, and you're at home caring for them by yourself. And then she found out that her husband had a series of affairs throughout the course of their marriage that she did not know about. Um, So her life kind of falls apart, and then she has to go pick up the pieces and decide if she wants to leave him or if she wants to stay and work on it, what she wants to do with her kids, what actually is going to make her happy, all the while still struggling with being in recovery uh, from alcoholism and her eating disorder. So there is a lot going on, lots of struggles, but she's super funny. Like, she's funny. She's very compassionate. This was an Oprah book club pick, um, so it's very popular. Her blog was super popular. And it is a lot about... Um, I think she's, I think she's a Christian, but I, I, it's like hard to pin down her exact spiritual preferences in the book. Um, but she is coming at her recovery and dealing with her difficulties in, in a like happy, not happy, like positive. Like she's looking for the bright side. She's looking 
for the right thing to do. Um, she's looking for the most compassionate way to handle her situation, not just compassionate towards her 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 husband who is kind of screwed over, but also compassionate to herself, which I think is helpful, like learning to give yourself grace when you're having a hard time. Um, and she did go on to leave her husband, and now she's with, oh gosh, what's that that soccer player's name? Um, is it Abby Wambach? Yes, it? yes, yes, yeah, yes. She's with Abby Wambach, which is awesome. So that's Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton. Uh, you should follow her on Instagram because the, the pictures of her and Abby are super cute. Oh, they're so <laughs> cute. They're really, really <laughs> super cute. Um, okay, so I am going to make a quick mention. I can't recommend it again because I've recommended it too many times. But the book I always go to when I'm feeling terrible and need distraction is Howl's Moving Castle by Diane Wynne Jones because it's just so perfect as an escape. Um, and it actually has a touch of portal fantasy about it, so I wanted to mention it. But the first book I'm legit recommending for you, as it were, <laughs> is Agora Fabulous by Sarah Benincasa, who is so funny. Um, this definitely falls right in line with Year of Yes and with uh, Big Magic. Sarah Benincasa uh, had a really ha- struggled with agoraphobia, Um and like from you know like college on uh and and it has obviously impacted her life in really intense ways and this memoir is about her trying to like become an adult as it were um and also you know leave her room even if it's just like to use the toilet down the hall in your dorm uh and she i've seen her read several times she's written a bunch of fiction as well so if you like her voice there's more where that came from along the fiction lines um but she just is so honest about what she struggled with and then so hilarious about it. I mean, it will actually make you laugh and cry and like cry because you're laughing, but then also sometimes crying because you're sad. Uh, So it's got Mm. all of the feelings like handed to you on a silver platter for your enjoyment and catharsis. Uh, So I really, I really, really, really super duper recommend her. Um, She's just wonderful. So she also has a podcast or did have a podcast for a long time and like was in Issa Rae's book trailer and is just like an all-around fascinating person, so you should look her up. Uh, but that book is Agora Fabulous, Dispatches from My Bedroom by Sarah Benincasa. Okay, my second pick is Let's Pretend This Never Happened by Jenny Lawson, who is probably better known as the blogger. She was one of like the original li- lifestyle, but I don't even, memory type bloggers. I don't even know what to like categorize her as, but she is <laughs> old school like the old school when it comes to internet people. Um, and I always consider her, like, she's kind of a Lady David Sedaris. Like, she's that got that kind of, like, dry, strange humor that comes out of nowhere. And this memoir is so funny. So she, all, in the similar vein to Glennon Doyle Milton, had a very difficult childhood, had a, has had a very difficult life. Um, she's got some mental illness that she's dealing with. But she's just hilarious. Like, she grew up super, super poor in rural Texas. And her father was, like, an amateur... Um, Oh, what's taxidermist, right? Where you, you stuff go. animals. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, so there's like a chapter about her dad, like bringing home dead squirrels that he finds on the side of the road to like stuff and give her as quote unquote pets. Like it's all just super weird. There's a chapter called "How I Snuck a Dead Cuban Alligator Onto an Airplane," and she just has a lot of odd anecdotes from her life and some awkward stories about being in high school, how she met her husband, her awkward stories about her husband. It's all just kind of super awkward, but really, really funny. Um, And I think if you like 
Shonda Rhimes, Tina Fey, Mindy Kaling, like that brand of famous ladies being funny about hard stuff, then this, I think, will be like right up your alley. So that's let, Let's Pretend This Never Happened, a mostly true memoir by Jenny Lawson, which is great on audio. She reads the audiobook. And it's I like great. that as a category, funny ladies being, or is it ladies being funny about hard stuff? Is that what it was? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay, my second pick for you is maybe going to sound a little off, but it's The Lightning Thief by Percy Jackson. <laughs> and um, the reason I'm recommending it is because middle grade fantasy is super great if you just need to not be like in your brain or in your body. If you just need to be like somewhere else thinking about nothing that actually matters, middle grade fantasy is like the best. And I'm recommending Percy Jackson, uh, wait, it's The Lightning Thief. Percy Jackson is a series. Rick Riordan is the author. I don't know what I just said out loud. Anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm looking at the show notes. I'm like, Percy Jackson did not write this book. (laughs) I I didn't catch it. Yeah. Bad bad job, both of us. (laughs) In any case, uh, Rick Riordan has, like, the most dadly sense of dad humor (laughs) in the world. And so, like, all of the characters are, like... There's so many, like, wah, wah, wah jokes sprinkled throughout. It's just really, really entertaining. There's, like, stupid fart jokes. And then also, like, they're battling, you know, Greek monsters and going on quests and stuff. Um, But it's just a really enjoyable series. And if you're at all familiar with the the Odyssey, uh, in particular, like, with the Greek classics and the Greek mythology, like, the way that he's adapting them for, to modern times is really interesting. Um, Like, the island of the, ooh, what's the, of the Lotus Eaters from the Odyssey is a casino in Vegas. Like, it's just, and it's for children, so it's full of, like, arcade games and, you know, milkshakes instead of booze and slot machines, but, like, the same principles apply. Um, and so he just does a really good job of creating this world that it's really easy to lose yourself in. The characters are super entertaining. The plot, like, it just is, it's just a really good distractionary reading series. And there's, like, a billion, are there, like, 14? I can't even remember how many there are. Um, and he's got a couple other series as well that are enjoyable, too. So if you just, like, need to go off and be somewhere else, uh, The Lightning Thief um, by Rick Riordan is definitely a good place to do that. Okay, question two. Um, This is from Vanessa. Uh, She says, After obsessing and dreaming and pining from across the pond since I was a child, I'm at long last fulfilling a lifelong dream to visit England. I'm going alone and thus am fully free to nerd out and do every bookish thing I've ever wanted, from the predictable trek to Stratford-upon-Avon and the Harry Potter tour um, to pay homage to my all-time fave Agatha Christie. I'll be spending time in Cornwall and the Cotswolds. You get the idea. My trip isn't until March, but I'd like some recs to stu- uh, of stuff to read before then, as opposed to on the trip itself. My request is somewhat vague here, but I want to fully immerse myself in England, any part of England, in anticipation. Recs can feature British characters, British scenery, British authors, or all of the above. Okay, um, so, yeah. So my first pick is The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles. I am obsessed with K.J. Charles um, and everything she writes. This is a British book and a British author, so yay for me. I picked this because you mentioned that Agatha Christie is your super fave, uh, and this is a fantasy, historical, paranormal romance mystery. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. Um, so it takes, but I think it's it's either Edwardian or Victorian. I actually had kind of a hard time like nailing down the timeline. It talks a lot about China, though, so maybe Victorian. Um, so the main character's name is Lucian. He's an English um, lord of some kind. He's some kind of, uh, not a duke. An earl, maybe? I think he's some sort of, not like, semi-royalty. Um, and he has been living in China for, like, 20 years. He's gay, and his father found out and sent him away when he was uh, a teenager to 
to China to like just get away. So he's been living there. And then his father and his brother die mysteriously. And so Crane, oh yeah, he's an Earl. So he's Lord Crane, Earl Crane, whatever. So he comes back to England to like set out, you know, sort through his family's affairs and figure out what's going on. Um, and then he just kind of wants to go back to China uh, where his actual life is. Um, so while he's there, he, for like no, while he's in England, for no reason that he can understand, he tries to kill himself twice. Like he loses his, he blacks out when he wakes up, when he comes to, he's attempted suicide and his manservant has had to like bring him out of it. So he decides that he's cursed and he brings in essentially like a, a, a wizard. They call him a practitioner in the book, Stephen Day, a magician um, who comes to like figure out what is going on. Um, with this family curse. But the twist is that Stephen Day hates the Crane family because Crane's father and brother were both horribly abusive, awful people who did horrible, abusive things to Stephen Day's family and a bunch of other people. Um, so the two start falling for each other at the same time that they're dealing with the history that their two families share at the same time that they're trying to figure out like what magical curse has been put upon them. And when I say magic, I'm not talking like... This is, like, gritty. Like, all of the magic is based in, like, blood and hair and, like, bones. It's all very physical and dirt and that kind of thing. It's not, like, magic. It's, like, actual scary kind of magic. So it is a little bit. There were a few, like, genuinely frightening parts of this book. It's only 200 pages, but I did, like, shudder a few times. But it takes place in the English countryside in this huge, old, cold, rusty, like, dusty manor house. Um, there's a lot of... Like, you know, standing on cliff sides, being mournful kind of thing. So it does feel very English in a, in a Wuthering Heights kind of way. So that's The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles. And that's a first in a very long series about the two these two guys being in love and solving paranormal mysteries. And it's awesome. So, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> my first pick for you is 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hemp, which is, like, kind of a classic, right? I, but I don't think that many people have read it. Also, there was an excellent movie made out of this with Anthony Hopkins and... I can't remember who plays Helene shoot I have never it's been that. a minute since i read it and saw it but i remember it being just like almost unbearably charming like so <laughs> incredibly charming so with the premise of it, it's it's a memoir um right it's not fiction it's real yeah memoir uh it's an epistolary book um what helene is an like a very good strong reader um with wide-ranging tastes and so she is having trouble she's an american she's having trouble finding the books that she wants so she's she writes a letter because this is in the 1940s um she writes a letter to this uh you know bookshop in london that she has found uh, somehow to see if he will send her the British editions of books that she wants. Um, so, and then they continue to write to each other for 20 years. Um, and because it's the 20, it's the 40s into the 1960s, like there's a lot going on in the world that makes its way into their letters. So it's kind of a cool snapshot of a certain period of time in both America and in England. But then also, like, it's full of their commentary about books. And like, Helene is really sassy. So she is, you know, and um, Frank, who's the bookseller in London, is, like, very, like, British and a little bit uptight, so their letters have a really lovely counterpoint to them. So it's it's a really fascinating just look at two people um, at a p time period uh, in, like, post-World War II um, about books and opinions about books. Like, it's a book lover's book, and also it's got super Britishy stuff in it and is very charming. So I feel like that would be a really enjoyable read for this project that you are on. Congratulations. Maybe you can go to 84 Charing Cross Road. 
episode and like mm-hmm. what see what's there maybe something's there who knows i don't know uh send us a picture if you do <laughs> so that's 84 charing cross road by helene hunt <laughs> oh. Oh. okay i mean notoriously bad at Knowing how to say people's names. Okay, so my second one is The Fair Fight by Anna Freeman, which I was so worried that I had uh, recommended this too many times to do it again, but I hadn't, only twice. So this is three, so this is the last time that I'm allowed to mention it according to the arbitrary rules that we have made for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this takes place in Bristol in the 18th century. Uh, the two main characters are Ruth and Charlotte. Ruth is born into a brothel. Her mother runs it, and she is raised there, except she, and she's like, it's fully expected that she's going to go into the family business kind of thing but she's not pretty at all and isn't uh it's not looking like she's going to make a good prostitute for any in any way uh so instead she becomes a a boxer uh a rich like customer of her mother's who's also like a merchant uh who is into boxing sees her get into is like a schoolyard fight um and decides that she's got skill and so she he trains her in boxing and then sets her up in like a local you know fighting ring um, so while she's doing that, we're following another storyline of a, of a wealthy, wealthy lady named Charlotte who, like, kind of just spends her life in the shadows of the men in her life. She had smallpox when she was young, so she's got a lot of scarring, so she doesn't like going out in public a lot. She's ignored, completely ignored by her husband. Um, she's doesn't get along with her brother, who's, like, her only living relative, so much so that they engage in these really strange power struggles and, like, manipulative sort of mind games. And then Charlotte and Ruth meet through a series of unfortunate events, um, and Ruth starts giving Charlotte boxing lessons, this, like, English, very proper English Rose kind of girl, and this daughter of a prostitute become really good friends and learn how to, like, physically defend themselves. And it's just fascinating. And, like, 18th century English female boxing bare knuckle boxing i don't know what else you want from me like it's just so good it's so entertaining and it's it's about uh, the historical fiction part is great it is very english um but the like the female friendship at the center of the book is um just so well done like you can feel their pain and how they're there for each other how they hold each other up and call each other out when needed um there's a, a lot of mystery about who how certain characters are connected to other certain characters and all those threads eventually come together which is the trope that i really like um and it's just really entertaining it's thick but it's a super fast read so that's the fair fight by anna freeman all right, my second pick for you is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper, which is technically the second book in the Dark is Rising series, but who cares? And also it stands alone really nicely. This is my favorite. I reread it at Christmas time, um, which is probably why you've heard me mention it recently. But it's about an 11-year-old boy named Will Stanton who lives in, like, the English countryside with his giant family, um, and they have, like, chickens and dogs and things. And he's just a normal kid uh, up until... It's Christmas time, it's 11, his 11th birthday is coming up, and there's a huge snowstorm, and he starts to, weird things start to happen around him. Like, things that he just can't explain, and also cannot explain to his giant family of, like, inquisitive and annoying brothers and sisters and parents. And he gets sucked into this, you know, big battle between good and evil, um... But the reason I'm recommending it for this uh, question, aside from all of the great things that I just said, is that it's really atmospheric. Like, you get such a sense of the village where he lives. There's, like, a manor house and the old church and then his, you know, Will's house and their farm. And, you know, there's a blacksmith down the road. Like, it's just all of these beautiful details 
about where and how they live. Also, like, what the celebrations around, like, Boxing Day, which is not an American thing, so I don't, still don't exactly understand what it is, um, and all of their, like, holiday rituals, which are very different to me from American ones. Like, some of them are the same, but some of them I'm just like, oh, that's a thing? Okay, cool. So I think that it really gives, like, a beautifully atmospheric portrayal of, you know, this one particular kid's growing up life, which I'm sure is based on something in her own past. So that is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Okay. Oh, and it's... Oh, right, right, wait, wait. I just want to give a quick shout-out. I forgot to White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Um, <laughs> because this book is amazing. It's not exactly cheerful, um, but it's very funny. It's very uh, slyly funny. And Zadie Smith is amazing. And if you haven't read her before, this was the first Zadie Smith I ever read. And I really loved it. And it's about two families who live in North London. Um, and one of them is this white guy named Archie. And then he has a best friend who is a Muslim Bengali named Samad. And they both served in World War II together, and then they, you know, they settle down, and they have kids, and they're raising their families, and they're living in North London, and, like, it's just a really amazing slice of life novel, and Zadie Smith is so smart and funny, so I wanted to give that one a shout out, too. Okay, uh, next question is me. Uh, from Kari. I'm looking for recommendations on books about feminism, whether they be memoirs or reporting on the state of feminism in countries around the world. I have read and enjoyed Mighty Be Our Powers by Lema Gaboi. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. I am Lala, Half the Sky, Men Explain Things to Me, We Should All Be Feminists, and Missoula, just to name what I've read in the last year. Any suggestions you have would be great. All right, Amanda, you talk. Okay, um, my first one is real, uh, Redefining Realness, My Path to Womanhood, Identity, Love, and So Much More by Janet Mock. Um, and if you don't, Janet, man, I'm like looking at the cover and I just, her hair is so good. It's like what I want my hair to be. I need to stop looking at her hair. Okay, um, Janet Mock <laughs> she, is, uh, I'm sorry. A she people, does have she, really good hair though. It's like enviable. Yeah. Like, how does she get her curls to be, ugh, not relevant. Um, she was an editor at People. And then in 2011, they did like a profile of her as, like part of her job as as the editor as an editor of uh, people dot com, um, and she came out as a trans woman in that Mary Claire profile, and that kind of like pushed her into the public eye and sort of made her willing or not a spokesperson for trans women everywhere. Um, and so she wrote this memoir about being born assigned male at birth and what her life was like with her family um, who like loved her and wanted to support her but didn't really have the money they didn't have the education the, the like you know the, the vocabulary for really dealing with what uh, Mach was going through at the time they certainly didn't have the resources to like give her the medical care that she needed um, so she grew up as like a teenager without really any help from her parents and then they lived in Honolulu for a while and she started like self-medicating her hormones when she was 15 she got her sex reassignment when she was 18 um and then kind of stopped talking about it really and just went on to like she moved to new york got a master's degree and went into a career in media and then just you know stopped because you know what a trans person's entire life does not revolve around their uh transition so she just went on and lived her life um until this article came out and she became kind of a politicized figure or at least um what am I trying to think? Not a not an emblem. Um, I guess the spokesperson is, is like the closest thing I can get to. But anyway, it's such a great. She's a great writer. Like it's such a great memoir, um, and she's so just I don't know, like authentic. Anyway, I picked this one because I think trans women are often. No, I don't think it's a fact that trans women are often excluded from modern feminism, um, and a trans woman of color, especially, uh, they does not have 
a platform or a voice that they deserve. Um, so I think it's important when you're doing, it seems like you're kind of creating your own feminist curriculum, um, that when you're doing that to include those voices in that, you know, curriculum that you're making for yourself. Um, also good on audio. I keep coming across these books that I've listened to on audio that are so excellent. So that's Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. Co-sign that one. Uh, my first pick for you is Unspeakable Things, Sex, Lies, and Revolution by Lori Penny, which I read last year, and a thought I thought it was really excellent. Um, it's a collection of essays uh, exploring gender and power in the 21st century, but she's not just talking about, like, you know men and women in relationships together or the patriarchy as like, you know, examples in workplace stuff. She's also looking at like the economy, um, like how money plays into masculinity politics. Uh, she's looking at, you know, um, mental health stuff. She's looking at the emotional labor that women do as well as the low labor or excuse me, low-paid labor jobs that women, especially of color, often end up in. Uh, she's looking at queer politics. She has a couple in there, uh, essays in there about the internet. Um, so she's a very, she's a journalist, and she's traveled widely. She's met a lot of people, and she's, you know, looked at a lot of different situations and applied the feminist lens to them. And I thought the book was really well done. Um, I appreciate it, especially, it's very current, so, like, she's talking about Occupy and online dating and, like, all of these things. Uh, she goes, she goes, she has, like, a really broad net, as it were um, when she's looking for topics to talk about in the context of feminism. And she's really on fire. Like, she is, like, ready for the revolution um, in these essays, Same. which, you know, seems timely, um, seems seems appropriate. Uh, and she does, she is a white woman, and but she does try to acknowledge her privilege and, you know, point it out where it's necessary to point out. So I thought um, that was pretty well done as well. From my perspective, she did a good job. Uh, so, and and yeah, I think it's just a really interesting read. And I haven't read that many British feminists, so that was interesting to me as well. So that's Unspeakable Things by Laurie Penny. I haven't either, now that right? I'm I was like, thinking about uh, it. Yeah. I think Catelyn Moran would be the only one, yeah. but she's got problems. I have not read her because of said problems. Yeah, yeah not, they're not great. Um, so, hmm. Okay, I'm going to check that out. All right, so my next one is Come As You Are by Emily Nagasaki. Uh, um, Nagoski. With- Oh, I'm sorry. Did I? Thank you. Um, I picked this. This is about female sexuality and the science behind female sexuality. And I picked this because so often, um, like, the message that women are sent about female sexuality is that it's just whatever the opposite of male sexuality is. Like, male sexuality and what men like and how men experience sex is the default. And then what women like or how women experience sex is the deviation from the mean and this book is about is just a scientific treatise on how that is essentially false um for example there's an entire super fascinating chapter about how what you have been taught and what i certainly was taught in like sex ed in school about the hymen is completely false like it's a, it's not real it's a complete social construct there's no scientific evidence for what we've been taught about that um and that like the idea of female virginity as a physical thing is just super not real. Like it's just super not real. Um, and was invented to, you know, oppress women. <laughs> shocker, shocker. Um, so surprise. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know this is new and shocking information to a person who has read a bunch of feminist literature this year, but that's BS. Um, so it is like, I'm trying to figure out like a rating. It's certainly not G rated. It's not like pornographic or anything, but it is very frank discussions of, 
genitalia and sexuality and the act of sex. So if you're like kind of squirmy about reading that kind of stuff in public, that's just a kind of little warning there for you. But it's so interesting and fascinating. If you were a, a woman, if you were a person with female genitalia or you are sleeping with a person with female genitalia, it's really just a must read, I think. So that's Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Did I say that right? I think Nagoski, Nagoski. I'm Nagoski. not sure which it is, but yeah. Better than the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Go read it. I co-signed that. It's a really empowering book to read. And also, yeah, I have been taught so many incorrect things in my life. Um, it's so like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like back in it now. But all of those parts about how how much, not how much more necessarily, but how mental sex is for women mm-hmm. that we just like aren't ever said that. Like you just need to be touched differently or maybe like the stress you experience in your life actually does affect that part of it. It's just very affirming. Yes. Um, so yeah. anyway, go forth. Yeah, very good. Um, okay, my pick for you is the my favorite book of a feminist whatever that I read last year. And it's the, <laughs> I mean, I read, I read a lot of books that involve feminism in one way or another, but this one was my favorite. Uh, it's the Feminist Utopia Project. Project, edited by Alexander Bradsky, Bradsky and Rachel Cowder Nalabuff. And it is a collection of 57 women. Well, actually, that's not true. It's a collection of 57 people, including uh, women and men, um, some trans, some cis, whatever. Uh, yeah, people of color, people who are disabled, people who are have struggled with mental health issues. Like, it's a really broad range of people. Some of them are famous. Janet Mock is in here. Um, some of them are not famous. And they've all written an essay in response to the prompt that these editors sent out, which was like, tell us about what your feminist utopia looks like. And so some of them, the pieces are interviews, some of the pieces are short stories, some of the pieces are poems, some of them are essays. It's a really broad range of material, and it is so good because some of them are like kind of wild and out there, and you're like, oh my gosh, what would that be like? And then some of them are just like... I walk out my door. I can wave to the guy across the street. He can wave back. I can go to work. Like, it's just so, like, simple and basic. Like, like what utopia could and should look like doesn't look the same for everyone. And I think there's a lot of fascinating ideas in here that I, some of them I had not ever considered before. Some of them felt very affirming. I was like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Um, some of them are funny. Some of them I was like, nope, don't agree at all. Moving on to the next one. But oh, there's, interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's like a real range in here, which I appreciated a lot. Uh, so... I just think it's, I mean, I think it's just essential reading because it it really lets you get into your head and out of your own head about, like, what our reality is versus what it could be. So that's the Feminist Utopia Project, 57 Visions of a Wildly Better Future. Definitely read it. Okay, so question four is, I apparently didn't write this person's name down. Sorry about that. So this is from Anonymous, but only through my own not attention to detail. Um, So she says, I have recently entered my late 20s and I've always imagined that I would have at least one child at this point in my life. However, due to where my husband and I are at in our lives right now, both in grad school, it's not possible. Lately, I've been finding myself dwelling on this and I was hoping that you guys might have some recommendations to help cure me of my baby fever, at least for a little bit. I tend to lead towards sci-fi fantasy, but I'm open to any and all uh, recommendations. Okay. Um, So I picked... Two for these, one from like different ends of the spectrum. I picked one that is primarily about family making um, that I think 
might scratch that kind of itch for you. But then if you want, like, if you want to be cured of your baby fever by reading about awful children, I also <laughs> picked a book that's about that. So I don't know. I don't know which one, which direction you want to go in. Um, but the first one is The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, which I just finished. And I, I'm so obsessed with it. Um, so it's a kind of memoir, sort of, work of critical theory about the construction of a family that makes it sound way more academic than it is. It's very, very readable. Um, but it's about Maggie Nelson and her relationship, her marriage to Harry Dodge, who is a fluidly gendered person and their children. Harry has a son from a previous relationship. So Maggie has a stepson who is, I think three when she becomes pregnant herself. And so it's a lot about her pregnancy, the process of being pregnant when she's, and she's older. So if you wanted to read maybe necessarily about, the experiences of somebody having a child later in life, if you intend to continue waiting to have babies, then this might be helpful in that regard. But she is, I think, 40 um, or maybe in her late 30s when she has the baby. And so it's a lot about, you know, she's an older mother and so is like firmly rooted in what her body feels like, what she's used to, the kind of person that she is, and then all of the changes she goes through um, during her pregnancy and then after the baby is born and how it affects her relationship with her partner and her relationship with her stepson, her artistic life, and her relationship to herself because she was already such a fundamental, like, had such a fundamental grasp on herself and now everything is different in the way that, you know, that happens when you have a baby no, older, no matter how old you are. Um, I don't know where that sentence was going. I just did a whole, like, Herodotus <laughs> onion thing and went down a big rabbit hole. Um, but, it, yes, so it's a, a lot about when you are, f like, just very firmly rooted in what you think the world is like and what you think gender is like and what you think your body is like and then having a child and having all of that kind of blown apart a little bit. Um, but she brings in a lot of interesting um, artists and philosophers and like queer theory critics that she weaves in to what she's writing, like her own memoir. Um, and so there's just a lot to chew on and think about. And it's written as like one big, long, there's no chapter breaks, but every the pair there are there are pair, paragraph breaks, breaks so it is easy to read um but it's very like stream of consciousness it's just cool like it's not it's like nothing i've ever read before about motherhood or parenting or anything at all really so that's the argonauts by maggie nelson i haven't read that one but i loved her book about the color blue is it just called blue what's that one? it's called blue or no bluettes bluettes that book is so good um yeah argonauts is on my list okay so my first recommendation for you is a collection of essays called selfish shallow self-absorbed i get it edited by megan dom and i am not a person who wants to have children and so i really enjoyed this collection it is 16 different writers on the decision not to have kids um and so so what she did was she went looking for people who m made a decision not to have children and had them write about it. But what's really interesting about this collection is it's not just like, I didn't want to have kids for 16 essays. Some of these people couldn't have children. Uh, some of these people, like, thought they were going to and then ended up not. Like, there's a lot of different background to all of these stories. And... I found that the most interesting part was, like, it's not so much like, well, one day I just decided that I was never having children. Like, no, everybody arrives at this decision in a different way. And listening to them, like, talk about how and why it is that they got to a, you know, childless state, which is a, it's not like a lack. It's like a specific state mm -hmm. of being. Like, I, I say that, I mean, obviously I am lacking children in my life, but, like, it's a different... Child-free. Child-free. There we go. Like, it's, it is a specific state of being, and I, I think it's an interesting one to explore. Um, 
Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that this is going to talk you out of wanting to have children, but if you need, like, to be thinking a little more on the not having kids at the moment side, this might help with that. So, uh, and some of, uh, some authors that I really love are in here, like Kate Christensen is one of the contributors. Um, Jeff Dyer, who's always very interesting, is in here. Danielle Henderson, who we adore. Pam Houston, Rebecca's favorite Pam Houston is in here. <laughs> it's a really good com uh, combination of people writing. So, Again, that is Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, edited by Megan Dom. You know what I appreciate about that collection is that it gives you a lot of ammunition for when other people give you crap yeah, for not having kids. even Whether you want them or not, like if you're in this situation and like this listener is where you want them eventually, but you just can't right now, like the, the, am, the ammo to talk to people who ask you intrusive and annoying questions. Yeah, and people are always like, well, you know, if you wait too long, like nudge, nudge, and you're like, oh my God, yeah. leave me alone. Maybe you'll, you might change your mind. Right. Like, <laughs> sure, I, I guess. It could also for... fall off the edge of the world <laughs> right. at some point. Who knows? <laughs> People. Hard pass. Uh, okay, and I have kids, and I just know I hate those questions. They're so rude. All right, so my second one is, uh, like I said, on the edge of um, horrible children that might make you reconsider it. Uh, I was going to go with Damien for this one, but I thought that might be a oh little Oh, my God. <laughs> a little on the nose. <laughs> yes, or like... Children of the Corn, I thought. Yes. I, was, I was rooting for that one. I'm not going to lie. Actual demon babies? I don't know. No, I thought that was too much. Okay, so my pick for you is Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, which is just full of weird kids who are all mildly to extremely creepy. Um, so the main character's name is Camille. She is, like, fresh out of a stay at a mental hospital and is a journalist. And she's being sent on assignment by her boss to cover, to go back to her hometown, which she hates, to cover the murders of two young girls who were like preteens. Um, she hasn't gone home in forever. She hardly ever speaks to her mother, who is like a neurotic, strange, hypochondriac lady. She barely knows her half-sister, who's 13 now. <clears throat> and so when she goes back and she moves in and move, moves back in with her parents, or with her mom and her stepfather and her half-sister. She's back in her, like, her childhood home, in her childhood bedroom, um, in her family's giant mansion, because her family is, like, a founding family of the town. Um, and she goes out, like, to do her job as a journalist and to investigate these murders. Um, and then she starts realizing that, like, there's something weird about the kids in her town, including her sister, who is 13, but who has, like, a very strangely strong grip on her mother and on some of the other adults in the town and on her friends um, and her um, like older, older kids where like the, the normal dynamic of like young 13 year old girl does whatever she can to get older kids to pay attention to her. It doesn't apply here. It's like reversed and it's very strange. Um, so added into all of that is Camille's own mental health issues, her own memories from her childhood her own problems with her family like the fact that she just wants to get out of dodge and get back to her home and leave her hometown where she's got all these horrible memories so there's uh, the mystery there's a lot of mysteries happening here like what's up with camille's childhood what's up with her sister who murdered these two girls all of that stuff um and why are all the kids in this town so creepy and <laughs> like a village of the damned kind of way a little bit um so that sharp objects by gillian flynn who just writes the creep yeah kids are creepy uh, okay, so my second pick for you, you said you liked sci-fi fantasy, so I found one for you. <laughs> um, 
It was really, it was for me. But you will also, I think, like it. It's Range of Ghosts by Elizabeth Bear, which is the first in a series that is called the Eternal Sky series. Yes. Okay. So the book starts out with a guy um, whose name is Temur, and he's, so I guess I should back up. The whole book is sort of a fantasy set in an Asian uh, past that is reminiscent of uh, the time when Genghis Khan, well, a couple generations past Genghis Khan. So Temur is the grandson of a Khan um, who is understood to be sort of a stand-in for Genghis Khan. And he's part of this big inter-tribal, inter-family battle uh, for control of the steppes. Um, and then he, there's a huge battle, and he every he like almost dies, and now he's sort of just kind of roaming, trying to figure out what is going to happen to his life. Um, there's you know assassins on his tail because he's part of the ruling line, and so you know he could be political trouble, even though he doesn't want to be at the moment. And then he ends up teaming up with this woman who used to be a princess. She's from like a ruling family. I can't quite figure out what the analog real world is, but anyway, it's like it's it reminded me a bit of the Chinese um, history and the ruling families. But she uh, has left her privileged position to be a wizard. She's going to learn magic. Um, but she's uh, one of the things that you have to do for both men and women. Um, all people who become wizards in this world have to have an operation that rem- renders them infertile. So man, woman, whoever, you are not going to have kids. Instead, you're going to make magic with your creative powers is the way magic works in this world. So she willingly surrenders her ability to have children in order to learn magic. Um, and then the book like spools out from there. There's all of these different characters. I really enjoyed this book. I cannot speak to the accuracy of the research Elizabeth Bear did that she used to create it, but um, it seemed pretty great to me from my perspective, uh, whatever that is worth. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> But what I loved about this book in particular was that, you know how, like, in every Marvel movie ever, there's, like, five dudes and one lady? Well, in this book, there's, like, five ladies and one dude. And it's so (laughs) refreshing to see, like, a ragtag band of adventurers that is weighted towards the female side. Like, that never happens. Um, And it's really delightful. And, I mean, that's just one of the many delightful things about this book. Um, There's good action. There's some fun magic. There's, like, a bad guy with a giant rock, you know, flying bird who does his bidding. Uh, There's, you know, genies and rings and all kinds of stuff going on. Um, But I thought it was interesting that there's a heroine who has, like, made a deliberate choice to forego children in order to have something else in life, Um, which is a little bit like going to grad school and not having kids, right? If you were in a fantasy world, that would kind of be the trade. Uh, (laughs) You're right. Right? Kind of. So that is Range of Ghosts by Elizabeth Bear. Okay. Oh, and... Bringing us nothing to do with our next sponsor. <laughs> uh, no there. Although I guess you know some of the characters in the book could use this book. This book. <laughs> um, our next sponsor is Get Your Bleep Together by Sarah <laughs> Knight. <said> bleep. <laughs> it's the bleep that starts with S, as you might expect mm. from context clues. Um, Sarah Knight is a is a former book writing contributor. So shout outs to Sarah, and she wrote uh, the life changing magic of not giving a fox, uh, as it were. (laughs) And this is her next book. So in the first book, she introduced readers to the joys of mental decluttering. Like, you know, if you don't give any bleeps, 
Like, how can you downsize slash minimize slash streamline your life? Um, And in this new one, it takes it one step further because sometimes you do want to give a bleep and you need to get your stuff together. So this, like, is the hardest read to do (laughs) and keeping it clean. It's really entertaining. Um... But yes, and so she's talking about how to cut through, like, all that mental self-sabotage that lands you on the couch or staying late in the office yet again when you really meant to, like, get to the gym or go home and cook something for yourself or start that project that you've been wanting to start for forever. Uh, So Sarah's goal is to give you the, you know, energy and the impetus and to cut through all of the excuses in your life so that you can get your things together and do the things that you really want to do. So that is Get Your Bleep Together by Sarah Knight. Thank you very much for sponsoring the show. Good book for the new year, right? Like, we could all use a little getting our stuff together, I think. And she's hilarious. She's and so her, funny. like, backstory is amazing. She got her stuff together so much that she, like, quit her publishing job and moved to the Dominican. Yeah. And, like, that's what she does now. Right. Is write books about how you, too, can get your stuff together. Yeah. So, like, Lady knows of what she speaks. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. There's good personal experience there. Okay, so I'm just going to keep talking. Our next question is from Marla, who says, I've been interested in reading horror novels for some time, but just haven't gotten around to it. I love It by Stephen King and was wondering if their book's kind of similar. I really like horror stories with either children or teens. This just, it cracks me up that we have this on the heels of the, like, baby fever (laughs) question. Uh, Question goes on, I'm not sure why I find myself drawn to those kinds of horror stories in particular, but there we have it. P.S. Of course I've read Shirley Jackson. All right, Amanda. All right, I can't talk about Bird Box anymore because of the rule I mentioned earlier, but Bird Box, go read it. Okay, so my first one that is not Bird Box is a YA horror novel, which is such a fascinating genre to me because um, it's not it's not like Stephen Kingy level scary, but it's still super scary, and, and the all of the protagonists are teenagers. So the first one is Daughters Unto Devils by Amy Lukovics, and this is like if Little House on the Prairie had a lot of demons in it. So I don't know, like that's just <laughs> that's an amazing it's, description. It's just so great. So it's about a sixteen year old girl named Amanda. Their family lives in, like, this small mountain cabin um, and has decided that after a really hard winter where um, Amanda had, like, some hallucinations that they're attributing to cabin fever, her mom gave birth to a baby sister who is uh, kind of sickly and never stops crying, that kind of thing. They're going to leave. Like, they're just going to leave this small mountain cabin. They're going to move. So they set out. Uh, onto the prairie, they find an abandoned a cabin that was previously abandoned by its owners. Um, and when they go inside, it's destroyed. Like the inside is completely wrecked and also covered in dried blood. And so obviously something horrible has happened here. But they're out of food and they just can't continue, you know, traveling. Um, so they decide to stay. They clean out the cabin, they wash it, <laughs> you know, whatever, and they move in. The days pass, and Amanda realizes that like something about this prairie is kind of just not right. She keeps. Um, hearing stories about, um, like, family slaughters, men losing their minds and slaughtering their families. Their closest neighbors are, like, the doctor that's in the, it's not a village, but, like, in this very small hamlet, the doctor and his son who live in the woods on the edge of the prairie, and there's something, like, weird about them. Also, Amanda is pregnant. She had a affair uh, with a young man when she was living in the small cabin with her family, um, and she knows that eventually she's going to show, and, you know, her life will essentially be over. Her family's very religious, um, but... She's, you know, kind of biding her time. And so uh, she's also kind of slowly losing her mind. And she's afraid that what's happening is that she's starting to have the same hallucinations that she did over the winter. Um, So, like, is the prairie haunted? Is she just kind of crazy? So it's very, like, The Shining 
combined with Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> and it's so creepy and weird. And I haven't been able to like read Little House on the Prairie or even like look at it really since I read this, which is <laughs> like, it's just ugh, like, ugh. it just gives me shivers. So yeah, that's Daughters Unto Devils by Amy Lukovics. Ooh, so creepy. And the cover is awesome. <laughs> Nice. Um, my first pick for you, I like don't know how to follow that. I'm, anyway, my first pick for you is Coraline by Neil Gaiman because it involves a child. Um, although really in this one, the adults are the super creepy ones, but there is a creepy child uh, in this book. Well, in it, the kids aren't creepy. They're like the heroes. Well, one it's of them. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, children and horror. This book has both of those things. Um, so, right, so Coraline is wondering what's behind this locked door in their drawing room, and, you know, the first time she opens it, it's just a brick wall, but later there's this passageway, and then on the other side, she founds uh, an apartment that's just like hers, except kind of different, and there's these other parents who are way better, except for their creepy button eyes. And then they want to make it make her their children forever, and things get very, very bad. Um, this is, I guess it's sort of intended for children, although I, when I worked in the bookstore, I was, like, real careful about who I gave this to, because nightmares forever, if you mm -hmm. read this at the wrong age, like, forever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's short, it's fun, it's Neil Gaiman, like, I don't know, you've probably already read it, but just in case, I wanted to mention it. So that's Coraline by Neil Gaiman. All right, my second one is a classic of this genre of horror novels with kids in it, which I just realized existed, <laughs> uh, and that's The Exorcist by William Peter Bleedy. I'm sure you've seen or at least heard of the movie, uh, which is also a classic of uh, the horror movie genre. Um, the, the book and the movie are very similar. If you're unfamiliar, I mean, like, I feel like I don't need to explain The Exorcist to you, but if you're unfamiliar with the plotline, it's about a little girl named Reagan who um, goes about, like, putzing around with a Ouija board um, and gets possessed by, like, an actual demon. And her mother takes her to a series of doctors, takes her to a series of psychiatrists. Like, no one knows what's going on. No one knows what's going on. And meanwhile, Regan is deteriorating uh, faster and faster. She is exhibiting really strange physical symptoms and also mental and emotional symptoms that get worse and worse. She becomes more and more profane um, and cruel and, and then eventually violent. Um, and so her mother like just gets to her wit's end and finally calls in a, a priest. The priest bring who has experience with this kind of thing, as they say. And the priest brings in an assistant who is another priest who is um, kind of a skeptic. Like, he's struggling with his faith. He's struggling with his decision to become a priest. Um, and then he's confronted with this horrifying thing in the form of this young girl who, like, happens to know all of his deepest, darkest secrets and wants to share them with him in very humiliating ways. Um, and then they have to go about, you know, trying to help the girl. So the difference between the book and the movie um, is mostly that in the book you get more of a historical, not historical, but like a background of the like demon thing that possesses Reagan. You also get more of a narrative point of view from the priest's perspective. So it's not just watching the priest's facial expressions to know what they're thinking. It's like actually knowing what they're thinking. Um, but it is really scary. Like it holds up. I read, I actually, I read this in college um, and it's 40 years old at this point. So by then it would have still been, you know, 30 years old, but it was still really, really frightening to me. Um, and I don't like, obviously I, I don't 
there's there's like no truck in this for me. I don't have any uh, belief in that sort of thing, but it's still just creepy. I don't know. Like, I also don't believe that like the prairie is evil and going to give you hallucinations, (laughs) but it's still just a creepy thing to consider. So that's The Exorcist by William Peter Blady. Um, my second pick for you is Let the Right One In by John Ashvide Lindqvist. Um, there was a movie, well, there are two movies. There's a Swedish one, and then there's the American one uh, made out of this, which you might be familiar with. But the book is really worth reading. Um, it is. It takes place in the 1980s in a suburb of Sweden, and a teenage boy's body is found emptied of blood. Surprise, vampires! And uh-huh. um, and uh, there's a 12 year old boy in the in the villa in the suburb, Oscar, who is like sadly kind of excited because that boy was bullying him and he's he's been the victim of a lot of bullying and he's like oh maybe I finally caught a break um but actually, there's, you know, more to it than that. Um, a new girl has moved in next door, and something is weird about her, and as Oscar gets closer to her, like, things, you know, unfold from there. And, you know, while I was thinking about recommending this book, I was like, oh, tiny, eternally young girl vampires are a thing, right? Like, the Anne Rice had one, this mm, one is mm-hmm. one. I feel like there are probably more out there, but those were the two I could think of off the top of my head. Oh, no, Fledgling by Octavia Butler also has, like, a young vampire girl in it, which is an interesting thing that I just thought about. Anyway, um, this is a super, super creepy, dark, scary, like, these are not sparkle, sexy vampires. These are, like, rip-your-head-off, really creepy vampires, um... And I don't know, I just think it's, if you're looking for creepy, creepy children, like, this is definitely one that should be on your list. So that's Let the Right One In by John Ashvita Linkvist. Okay, do we have time for... We have four minutes. What do you think? Four minutes. Ah... Okay, yeah, let's do it. Okay. A minute each. We'll go. We'll, we'll, fast. we'll okay. be fast. Okay. Um, this is from Adriel. She says, I love a romance novel with a male protagonist who is not a jerk with a heart of gold or a rake who changes because of love. I'm looking for romantic novels with a pleasant, uh, with pleasant, respectful adult men. Uh, I really like Storied Life of AJ Fickery, blah, 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 blah. Um, what these books are lacking in, the ones she usually reads as compared to what she calls bodice rippers with alpha men, are the steamy bits, which I do enjoy. Okay, so what you're looking for is beta males, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like a thing that exists. It's like a whole subgenre of romance with, that has heroes who are not alpha men, who are respectful and kind and pleasant and just kind of normal. <laughs> normal dudes with that, who are not like rakes with hearts of gold. Um, so my first one, for, I'm just going to keep going. My first one is The Escape by Mary Balog, um, which is the third in her series called The Survivor's Club. I have not read any of the other ones. I'm notorious for this, but I'm sure all of you know this by now, um, for reading romance novels out of order, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything, so whatever. Um, but these books all center around a group of people who have survived the Napoleonic Wars, including one woman, and have come back with some sort of disability or PTSD or depression or something. And are now in the course of finding love and dealing with that disability at the same time. So in this one, Ben Harper is the main character. He was um, shot several times and then his horse kind of like rolled on him. So he can't walk very well. He's got his legs are very injured. Um, He uses two crutches. He walks with two crutches and a wheelchair sometimes. Um, And he's come home from the wars and is like trying to figure out what to do with himself. Like he... He's not going to walk again the way that he wanted. His house is being run by his brother, and he doesn't have the heart to kick him out, so he just, like, doesn't know what he's doing. And then the heroine is Samantha. She's a widow. Um, her husband had a very long death, uh, but he was not a good husband to her, but she's still, you know, sad because her husband died. And her oppressive in-laws are insisting that she take her mourning to the extreme so she's not able to really start her life over in any kind of real way. Um, and then they meet, and shenanigans ensue. 
because her in-laws want to, t- to like whisk her off to live with them. And um, she refuses because she knows if she does that, her life will be over. So he uh, agrees to escort her away. Yeah, not kidnap her, but because it's she asked him to do it. But he agrees <laughs> to up, escort Nelson, her wrap away. Wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, and so, um, and that's pretty much it. There are shenanigans. But they're both adults. Like, they're both very respectful adults who are making choices with their brains, which is nice. Um, so that's The Escape by Mary Ballard. Okay, my first one for you is Unveiled, uh, which is the first in the Turner series by Cor- Courtney Milan, which I recommend the whole series. Um, its main character, Ash Turner, has been, like, had a difficult childhood and um, is taking over... Uh, dukedom and settling like an old score with the current duke um but he finds himself falling in love with a woman who surprise is the duke's daughter um and they ash is amazing and like also a very respectful like he's angry so he's not a perfect person but he is not like a rake waiting to be reformed he's like a very good guy who's been through some stuff and is rightfully angry and you know but still has to deal with all of the things that come along with that Um, And Margaret is so smart and great and, like, you know, empowered in as many ways as she can be. She's got a terrible father, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. But anyway, it's a a beautiful, beautiful example of how you can have, like, an angry male lead who is not an alpha jerk face. So that's Unveiled by Courtney Mullen. Okay, my second one is Her Halloween Treat by Tiffany Rice, who I'm obsessed with. And it's a Halloween romance, which is so great. (laughs) Um, So Joey, uh, the main character's name is Joey. She lives in Honolulu and has just found out that her boyfriend of two years is married what What? she runs away i know she runs away to her family's like super remote cabin from her childhood in oregon to like just not and to attend her brother's wedding and get some time to herself um and then she discovers that the handyman for her cabin um and also a series of other cabins in the area is her brother's childhood best friend so she knows this guy Knew him growing up. Turns out now he's an adult and he's super hot and also very good with tools. So, um, as <laughs> I you can is imagine, that a, like nudge nudge tools. Like, she would, hey, all right. <laughs> well, it's Tiffany Rice, so what do you expect? Right, true. Um, so she goes about rebounding, and then feelings get involved, and I'm sure you can figure out what happens from there. So that's her Halloween treat by Tiffany Rice. Uh, my second is also contemporary. It's flat out sexy by Aaron McCarthy, which is the first in a racetrack romance series, which I didn't think I would like, but then I ended up loving. Um, And the main character, Tamara Briggs, is a single mom who really just, like, is kind of... She's not looking to get married again. Like, she's a widow. She loved her husband a lot. He died tragically. She's not, like, really looking to have a new permanent man in her life, but, like, maybe it would be nice to go out and, you know meet somebody and maybe have a little bit of fun. Uh, So she gets set up with this young NASCAR driver named Alec and... contrary to what you would expect with an older woman and a younger man, he is not interested in, like, he does not need to be taught how to grow up. He does not need to be taught responsibility. In fact, like, Tamara is the one who's like, no, I don't want anything serious. And he's like, no, no, I I really like you. Like, I don't, I really do like you. And she's like, what? Um, So it's a nice kind of turns the tables around. And it's nice to see a younger male character who, like, again, not an alpha, not a jerk, like, really just wants to find a woman and be in love with her. Like, that's what he wants. It's lovely. Um, so that's Flat Out Sexy by Aaron McCarthy. Oh, okay. thanks for hanging with us, guys. <laughs> we did it. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you have any feedback for us, please do rate us on iTunes. Uh, we love to see your comments, and also it helps other people to find the show. You can uh, talk to us on Twitter. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Uh, and thank you so much to our sponsors today for sponsoring the show. And that's a wrap. 